0: Welcome back to Crazy
1: Faith Talk. I'm Erica. I'm Sarah. And I'm Steve. So this week we are starting a brand new series. We are looking at the different genres that we can find in the Bible. Um, Because the Bible is in fact a library full of different books which are helpfully contained all in one giant book for easy portability. And so there are different genres in the Bible. There are narratives, there are books that seem to be made entirely of laws, there's some poetry, there's prophecy, and of course, gospels and letters.
2: So because there's all that uh, collection of different styles of of reading, and our brains are used to considering the style of reading when you're talking about a book that you get from the library or the bookstore. We often forget that it's worth doing the same thing, considering what am I reading and what kind of literature is this when we get to the Bible? And your your point earlier, Sarah, I think is a good one. While it's certainly convenient to have this library of books in one set of covers on my shelf and call it the Bible, we forget that not only does the word Bible itself come from the word biblias, meaning library or books, period, not just one book, but multiple books. And sometimes we refer to them as the Scripture is plural, not just like the one thing. That in any in any given chunk of that library of books, you'll be dealing with things that uh, just just handle what they're trying to accomplish differently. So uh, we thought we'd do a little uh, Fruela Maria-like uh, sound of music and start at the very beginning, a very good place to start, and go to the beginning of our scriptures. But to even recognize there the beginning of our Bible. Um, there are divisions in the Bible that don't announce themselves, but that tradition sort of recognizes. The first five books are often collectively called uh, the Torah. We can talk in a minute about what that means uh, in Hebrew, or sometimes we call them the, the Pentateuch, which is just a fancy way of saying the five books. <laughs> um, and they sort of are a complete unit, like. The nerd in me wants to say the way Star Wars four, five, and six, A New Hope, through the Last Jedi, are or Return of the Le- or Return of the Jedi is it's a complete story, but there's other things to be told. Um, but. Uh even within those those books that we would collectively call, in English usually, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, there's a lot of things going on. Sometimes they line up neatly with book divisions, and sometimes it, in one biblical book you get a weird hodgepodge of things. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, even maybe most confusingly of all, most of the book might look like it's, oh, this is a bunch of commandments and laws, but it's really set within the bigger narrative of, oh, this is the laws that are set within the story of when the people are in the wilderness before they go of the Promised Land, and how much that background narrative is is, is important um, makes, a, makes a difference for how we hear or read what the commandments are, too, right? So, all right, uh, let's, let's start at the beginning of our Bibles is the, the book we call Genesis. I think in Hebrew, the traditional name is better, seat, which means in the beginning, because in uh, tr- mm-hmm. Hebrew tradition, the, you call the book by the first couple of words, and um, uh, what 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 are, what are genres or what are things that we need to know uh, that, that that happen in those in the opening in the opening book or or um, chapters of of our of our Bibles? What are genres we need to know?
0: So in in Genesis overall overarching it's a history book. Okay, you know it's telling the history of um, creation, which that's. Can actually the first few chapters can be set aside and be something else? Bracket okay, we'll that out for a moment. But um, but generally it's a history because you've got the story of Abraham and how Israel came you know to become Israel and all of his children, and so that's the general flow of the book. But there are definitely parts, including the first couple of chapters, that can I'm not even sure what genre necessarily put those first couple of genres. In. Oh, I, no, I, no, I no, do. I <laughs> do.
1: They are an ideology an ideology the reasons, or is its <laughs> story
0: yeah yeah
2: yeah okay.
1: okay so yeah it's um it, it's similar to uh like a bear wolf and Yeah, a uh, or like, um, you know, Greek mythology where it... The, like
2: Prometheus is the where did fire come from story. Yeah, <laughs> exactly,
1: or that story where the Titan that, like, Zeus popped out... No, Athena popped out of his forehead. Right, right, right. Um, You know, the, it's the yeah. it's an origin story. Mm-hmm. Or, like, Spider-Man getting bitten. <laughs> right, oh, good, now you're speaking my language. <laughs> okay, now,
2: yeah, now you got me again. Well, and, and, like, while well, well, I... I I get that we're just indulging my nerdiness here, and I appreciate that. I I do think there is something helpful about um, about about making that comparison, like to your standard comic book hero that has sort of a basic origin story that might get told a bunch of different ways in a bunch of different comics. Like, for example, uh, there have been an overabundance of Spider-Man movies in the last Mm -hmm. decade. Some some would say too many comic book movies total, but a bunch of different Spider-Man movies, and one of the recurring complaints is sometimes they'll spend the whole first half of the movie doing the telling the story all over again the radioactive spider that, beats peter, that bites peter parker and he loses uncle ben and somebody has to say the line with great power comes great responsibility mm-hmm. and others like relegate that to the opening credits, and then you're off to the races with other stuff everybody knows that basic origin okay. story but how it gets told is about differently mm-hmm. um and you could even say any given spider-man movie whatever other spider-man story you're telling may it give an allusion back to that origin story or assumes that's the story of how Spider-Man came to be. There's no movies where he came from a planet full of spider people or there's no mm-hmm. story where he came from the bottom of the ocean and was bit by a sea spider. That There's one sort of standard, this is how it goes. And then sometimes the, the new movies will jump off from that point with, with other things in the background. And in a way... All of our scriptures sort of start with a, uh, whether they say it out loud. Yeah, God created the heavens and the earth. Sometimes you get a full-blown origin story. Sometimes you get sort of multiple ways of telling that origin story. Genesis 1 does it differently than Genesis 2. And our Bibles haven't forced us to pick one or the other. And then you could say the whole rest of the scriptures, sometimes with a knowing wink, will go back to the Adam and Eve story or they'll, they'll give allusion to it. And some of it will just be, you know, God who created the heavens and the earth. And they'll move on to the rest of the story, but in a way, almost like the comic books sort of take. There's there's some common DNA to the story that gets uh, that, that's in the background all the time. The, the Bible does that too. Um, and so we got we got ideologies which are like mm-hmm. origin stories, and and in some ways, you've got not just etiology, the origin of. The universe, uh, but you've also got things like, where did all the different nations come from? Oh, we well, we got the story of the Tower of Babel, which mm-hmm. is not exactly exciting, riveting campfire around you know uh, storytelling, but it's sort of a well, Here, here's how we got different nations and different languages. It's an ideology. It's more of a story that, to give an explanation mm-hmm. than it is riveting plot twist. And maybe another piece about that is that ideologies sometimes aren't exactly narratively satisfying in the sense of, oh, this, this fits with this character. Like, if you read through Genesis, you kind of get to know Abraham as a character, and he does certain things that fit with his character, and sometimes it's like, oh, this is a bad moment for for Abraham, or Jacob is consistently a trickster and a jerk. But, like, in, in etiology stories, sometimes it's just like this, well, this is how it goes, and we're kind of left scratching our heads. Why does God, why do people want to build the tower and why does God say the solution is mm-hmm. with language? That's how the story goes. Here it is, people. Um, and it, maybe it feels different as a story than, say, the story of uh, Jacob and Esau or something yeah. like that. Well,
0: even just the creation story itself, you know, it leaves a lot of details that we we as you know 21st century Americans want sure. an answered. Like, okay, how did this happen? Sure, you know, you've got these seven days, and all of a sudden, like all this stuff pops out of nowhere. Man. We want science. We want all that. Yeah. And it's just not there because that's not what's important to this culture. Right. 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 And,
1: and I think also because we wanna we want ideologies to tell us exactly what happened, exactly how it happened. Yes. We and that's minute by minute kind of Right. Heard. And that's not often <coughs> the point of them. Exactly. They're usually there to like have an overall message. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Like the creation story isn't supposed to be read literally, God created the world, the universe, in seven days, but more just the fact that God created. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so when you get to like Genesis 3, when it's like, wait, who are all these people that Adam <laughs> and Eve's <Caesar's> children are <laughs> right, marrying? Right. Um, where did they come from? That's because that isn't the important part of the story. Right. And
2: I think that's an important piece, too, to recognize is that. In, in a sense, the creation stories themselves want to be universal, and this is how God made the whole universe. These really end up becoming the scriptures of a particular people group, the the, the people who, who identify themselves as Israel, and then Judah, and uh, the, the the people who sort of flow out of those stories. And because of that, there's some parts of the story they're interested in holding on to and some that they aren't. So even like when it gets to like stories about the origins of nations, um, there's very little mention about the tribes in the Amazon, because that's not on the radar of the, the, but they are interested in the petty feuds they have between them and their neighbors. So there's going to be plenty of stories about how wicked those Edomites are and about how their origins are rotten um, because those are the stories that were worth holding on to. And mm. we sometimes forget this, this set of scriptures, as universal as it is, is also particular and is the family album of a particular set of people who are only interested in a certain angle on the world because this is their story. Um, And they're interested in the God who created the universe insofar as that God also then comes and says, and I choose you to be my peculiar people in all the world, and I make covenant with you, and I will bless you, that kind of thing. Um, So the, the fact that these stories are, on the one hand, we talk about them as being inspired or breathed by God, and they're also... The, the family stories of people who said this story is worth holding on to and did so for a particular reason, we got to hold those together in all the scriptures, but certainly anytime we're reading something that is a story, um, whether it, it plays more like a historical record like Kings will, you know, like in, in such and such a year this happened or the more nebulous kind of uh, when Abraham was 75 years old, mm-hmm. oh, I'm, what, what, help, help us date that, no, that's all we got. So, so you had said a little bit ago, Erica, we've got the opening chapters which are their own animal mm-hmm. and then, after some kind of weird universal stories about human beings spreading on the earth and fighting with each other, and uh, the flood story, then you, the, 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 the Book of Genesis starts to narrow into one set at one family story. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, what, what, what's important to know about how the, how that storytelling works in the, the the story that unfolds of Abraham and his descendants?
0: I would say the biggest thing is being God's chosen people. Like, okay. so you have Adam and Eve, you've got the flood story, you've got all these. People groups that are around, you know, from, from the Tower of Babel and all that, and now God has said, "Okay, um, all these people are wicked and evil." You know, we kind of get that with the with the Noah story, anyways. You know, mm-hmm. well, guess what? People continue to be wicked and evil even okay. after the flood. Okay, and God's is He sees Abraham's righteousness, and He says, "You know what, Abraham, I choose you." Okay. Um, you know, and, and from that, then we get the rest of scripture really it's out of abraham's family that we get uh the people of israel that we get the story of israel and what becomes the rest of the old testament all traces its history back eventually to adam and eve but i mean so for most of scripture the history goes back to abraham Mm -hmm. isaac and jacob Mm -hmm.
2: and um even even to the point where uh in much of the hebrew scriptures God is identified in a world in a mm-hmm. world that has lots of gods in it as, you know, Yahweh, you know the God of Abraham yeah. and Isaac and, and Jacob, Jacob. Mm-hmm. as sort of the way of locating, yeah, we're not talking about Ra, the Egyptian sun god, or Baal, the Canaanite fertility bull god, we're talking about, you know, Yahweh, the God of Abraham and Isaac and
0: Jacob.
1: And I think a cool thing that happens again and again in the Bible to help point us back to that fact is the genealogies. Yeah. Like, just all of a sudden the story will be interrupted because there's just a genealogy of so-and-so begot so-and-so, and and -and so-and-so is the father of so-and-so. And and quite frankly, it's boring to read, but it's there to help make that point of this person who you are now hearing about or will be hearing about can trace him or herself back to Abraham or to Adam yeah. or whomever they're trying to, like, help make that, like, this person belongs to God. Mm-hmm. And there's two
2: really important points in that you raised there that I want to call attention to. One is that even if it's boring, it doesn't mean it's unimportant. And I was just thinking, as you said that, like, I couldn't imagine working in our county courthouse, being the person in charge of records of deeds and property and things like that. But I'm glad that's somebody's job, and I'm glad to know that if there is a dispute about where's the boundary line or who owns this piece of property, that there's somebody whose job is to keep those records so that we can't, because there will come a point where that's important to know, and even though that's not my um, entertaining reading uh, on any given day, that's important to know somebody has that, and that the genealogies sort of serve as that that Mm. purpose. You don't get the impression ever in the scriptures that um, the Israelites sat around the campfire saying, tell us the genealogy again, Dad. But they were held on to as this is, this is important. Don't forget it. It's part of who we are. Even if it's not the riveting story of you know pillar of cloud and fire through the Red mm-hmm. Sea kind of thing.
0: Oh, see, you said it's part of who we are. And when people ask me, you know, why why do we have the genealogies? Why do we have to read them? Like, Why are they in scripture? I said, because people are important to God. Right.
2: And and that's a piece too, that these are names and faces that even if I didn't know them, they matter to God's people because they matter to God because they're part of the story.
0: And even if they only show up in this one genealogy, in this one section, you know, yeah. they might not show up anywhere else in scripture because uh, they're not Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob. Yeah, It still means that like they play the role to get us from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to sure. David, or to Jesus, or to somebody sure. down the road. And so they're they have importance. They had a yeah. role to play in the life of Israel at the yeah. time when which they were alive.
2: And to think about, like, even though we don't get their stories, to some to some degree, each of those people hands on the promises and the, and the, the storytelling to their children and to mm-hmm. their grandchildren so that what we have condensed into a short chapter of genealogies in the book of Numbers is, you know, generations upon generations of parents and grandparents telling their kids and grandkids mm-hmm don't you worry, one God, one day God's going to save us from Pharaoh, or you know, God promised us a, a hope. And the way those things get transmitted, especially in a culture that's, it, that doesn't have printing presses and everybody's got their own copy of you know, these written records, is the storytelling. So the genealogies are part of how we hand on the promises to, to each other, too. The other thing I think is maybe worth noting, and this is a preview of coming attractions, is the, the literary style of the genealogy it's almost like you have to learn that structure so that later on when other authors play with it or mess with it or do something intentional and curious with it Mm -hmm. you'll notice what's different so we get a lot of so and so to get so and so and often it's father to son father to son father to son so that we pay attention when later on Matthew does something funky with his uh, genealogies and and adds women Mm -hmm. especially um, stories of women where like uh, everybody else would have written them off and said, oh, that's a foreigner. She can't be included. And Matthew is really intentional about, look, here are women that everybody said they didn't count. And look, they're they're at these essential points in the story mm-hmm. of the Messiah.
1: Um, yeah, I think that all of those women mentioned by Matthew mm-hmm. in some way...
2: Are were exceptional. Se- they,
1: yeah. yeah, they were sexual deviants. Yeah. Like, all of them. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. So, like, there's a whole bunch of ways that those uh there's different those, those women stand out uh you end up with at least ruth uh and tamar. you get tamar uh, you get uh Bathsheba. uh and
1: rahab, rahab. rahab.
2: Mm-hmm. um and uh, again we we've i think in previous episodes we've spent some time on some of those stories yeah. but like the you don't notice that unless you know how to read a standard genealogy in mm-hmm. the way that like when you watch a movie that does a weird plot twist it only works if, like, they've taken the usual conventions of a sci-fi movie or a murder mystery and they've done enough to get you. oh, this is how the story's supposed to go, and then they yank the rug out from under you. So there's a sense in which this is doing the homework. Re- reading the genealogies, knowing how they work, how mm-hmm. they're supposed to work, is helpful for when someone does something that plays with it later on, you pay attention to it. So even if not fun to read, good to know why they're there. Yes. Okay? Um... That story that starts with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob then becomes the story of... Jacob's descendants who go to the land of Egypt when there's a famine, there's that whole little self-contained, it's sometimes called a novella of Joseph's story. Because yeah. even though like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, they get a couple of chapters, you know, and Isaac, man, he gets short shrift. He's sort of like the side character, even when he's the, <laughs> he's always like a B character, even when he's the head of the family, getting taken advantage uh-huh. of by his son Jacob. And um, But in any case, Joseph's story, who ends up, like, as, as almost like removed from the family story for a long time, mm-hmm. he gets like 12 chapters of his own story. It's interesting storytelling, and it's got its own sort of role um, that Israel would have held on to as a way of how do we live when we're under a foreign power. Like that's a mm-hmm. piece of that story because even though Joseph's story is set in Egypt, later on, like hundreds and hundreds of years later, when the people are going through exile and wondering how do we live under a foreign power, that story would have been important. And will, yeah, let's hold on to that Joseph story again. That's important for how do we live under a foreign power. But that also brings the narrative, this is how the people get to Egypt. Yeah, And then mm-hmm. uh, a, a plot twist happens, right? Almost like... In between uh, the end of one book and the beginning of another, Genesis ends with what feels like a, a happy ending. Oh, Joseph's family, which means Abraham and Isaac and Jacob's family, they've all made it safely to Egypt. They're not going to die of starvation and the famine. Oh, that's great. And they've got a good relationship with the Pharaoh. We can dust our hands off, end of story. And the book of <laughs> Exodus opens with, oh, a new Pharaoh arose who didn't remember mm-hmm. Joseph and turns all these foreigners into slaves, right? And uh, is a, so afraid they're going to become so numerous, is so afraid of these foreigners uh overpowering their uh great egyptian culture that he insists mm-hmm. first on how can we get rid of them how can we wipe them out um how can we repel them and then eventually i uh, will turn into slave labor and from there the story takes sort of another decided turn right
0: yes i mean again beginning part of Exodus is at least again history mm-hmm. so when we're talking about john we're looking at history again but then you've got this whole okay um Joseph was in charge of Egypt, basically. I mean, he was, you know, right-hand man to Pharaoh and everything, and now all of a sudden, now his people have completely gone down 180. They are now slaves of Egypt, and they are looking for their deliverer because they've not had one. In, what they've never said? had
2: one. They've never had a need to be delivered.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, how long has it been, though, like, that they have Oh, they're slaves? in slavery? 400 years. That's what I thought. Okay. So you, you have them in slavery for 400 years, and they're like, okay, but... But the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob promised mm-hmm. us this land and mm-hmm. promised us these things. And where is this God now? Right. Because you know, right. he's you know, yeah, he brought us down to Egypt to save us when there was a famine in, in what becomes Israel. But where has God been for right. 400 right. years right. that we're now slaves?
1: And I think that's an important. Period of time, yeah. like not really symbolically, but the fact that that's four hundred years is generations. Yeah. So the current generation has no living memory of being free exactly. of, but it's not such a long time that they have forgotten their story. Right. Egypt may have forgotten Joseph, but they haven't. Yeah. yeah. Or, and I, or is it Jacob? Joseph. Joseph. Right.
2: Yeah. Okay. Good. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and, and I think that that brings up maybe what is the defining character of both God's people and of the God that they come to see as their personal covenant God. Mm -hmm. And it's less about that they are always great at keeping the rules, and more that they are, at their best moments, faithful to a story and i think that's important mm-hmm. too because earlier you noted that like god picks out abraham because of his righteousness and there's moments where abraham has righteous moments but like even when abraham first shows up in the story it's god out of nowhere calls this guy who's worshiping other gods and you know in in ur of the chaldeans so it's not like he's seeking the one true god and god goes you've been seeking me i have offered no it you're you're busy bowing down to statues and god taps him on the shoulder and goes hey bud i'm over here let's go um and that God makes this promise to Abraham and the thing that Israel remembers is why Abraham is the founding father is he believes God and as the text says it's credited to him as righteousness that he's willing to trust a promise that's made to him and so all that those generations in slavery do is they hold on to that promise and they teach it to their children say one God one day God's going to keep that promise one day God's Mm going to keep that promise Um, and eventually God does but it's interesting too we don't get any storytelling, really, of what those 400 years are like, I'm guessing slavery doesn't allow you a lot of free time to write, though, mm-hmm. um, but that, like, for all the time that is spent on the ups and downs of Joseph's life, you know, like, in a handful of years in his life, and we get, you know, 15 chapters of Genesis over that, and 400 years are, you know, just sort of skipped over like like that, well, it was 400 years later, and then Moses appears on the scene, um... And God raises up Moses to confront Pharaoh. And there's this sort of other defining moment in Israel's history is the, the Exodus mm-hmm. and Sinai tradition, right? So, like, what are the high points to know about what happens in that part of the saga?
0: So the Exodus is the delivery of the people from Egypt. And um, after you have the ten plagues, you know, that go through Egypt, eventually killing all the firstborn of, of Egypt, you have the establishment of the Passover, -hmm. Which becomes like the crowning moment of Israelite history. Like of all the the long stretch of history that Israel has from Abraham to the exile to the second exile Mm -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm. and, and
0: Babylon and all that, it's the Passover that comes up over and over and over again because it's it's God again delivering on the promise that He had made. To Abraham,
2: Isaac, and Jacob. So, so at this moment, the, the people are freed from slavery, and there's this whole dramatic ritual with the lamb that gets mm-hmm. slaughtered, and then the other dramatic turn is the pathway through the sea, and God sets them free, mm-hmm. and Pharaoh's army is swept away when the waters crash over, and like in a sense, this is the defining moment for Israel as a people. Before this, you could say they remember themselves as basically the, the descendants, kind of loosely organized into the big family tree of and Abraham. The yeah, yeah. yeah. And at this point, they sort of identify, and the story sort of treats them as now you're the nation of the people uh-huh. of Israel, even though they've still got tribal factions and squabbling and all that.
1: Yeah, yeah and this is, I, I think this is such a cool moment because throughout the history of Judaism, it's this moment yep. that people can point to. And it's the story of the Passover has... Um, become an almost liturgical story exactly that um it's something that is repeated and told year after year so that the current generation of jews still remember this moment this it's very forming forming and
2: and even to the point where the language in a modern uh Mm -hmm. passover uh, meal is that this is the night and that it's it's present Mm -hmm. tense and that we're the generation that god brought through so there's that sense of the past isn't just the past. The past continues to inform the mm-hmm. present, and we're part of that as well. Um, and it, in a, in a way, I want to be careful here because Christianity makes different moves. But like when, it, at least in many Christian traditions, we talk about uh, the, the notion of sacrament. Um, especially at Jesus' death and resurrection and what's celebrated in communion, there's some sense of the blurring of past and present and future together mm-hmm. so that it's not just, I eat this bread and I remember something that happened a long time ago, but in some sense, this is a present event and the, 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 the presence of God is real in a saving way in this moment too. Um, that's only possible if... Uh, we can lean into that notion of the blurring of past, present, and future that, that, that is anchored there in, in, in Israel's memory in the Hebrew Scriptures. So, and, and maybe it's worth noting that again and again and again, after this point, God is remembered not just as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but as the God who brought us out of slavery. So even yes. when God gives the Ten Commandments, before any commandments are given, any rules are spoken, it's, I'm the God, not only of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I'm the one who brought you out of yeah. Egypt and delivered you with strong, you strong, know, powerful hand and that kind of thing. And then from this there now here's how to live as my people right yeah so that moves us to the next genre we're going to discover in the torah and uh it takes up a lot of real estate in
1: wait no not yet, not
2: yet what do you want to tell us about
1: the next subgenre okay. is songs.
2: Oh, okay, because we get Miriam's songs. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. Right. There's
1: a little musical number.
2: <laughs> Sometimes the Bible is a musical. All but right.
1: um th- yeah, that's actually very short, so it doesn't take a bunch of real estate. So
0: I don't even know that
1: it takes a whole chapter, does it? Uh no. It, it takes <laughs> half a
2: chapter. And and again then like after Miriam gets like the core of the song, like then it goes, and then also M- Moses sang more. It was like there's this sort of like, can you give Miriam her moment, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Um but the nugget there that's remembered is Miriam's song about the Lord has triumphed, the horse and rider he's thrown into the sea, is ancient, ancient, ancient yeah. stuff. And it's clearly like this bedrock, formative, you know, like, what? How, how, do you, how does Israel define who God is? They say God is the one who defeated mm-hmm. the Egyptians for us. God is the one who threw the Egyptians into the sea. And, like, that's, I think, an important thing. Because sometimes... In contemporary culture. People, you know, say, well, if you want to define God, you have to start with, you know, this sort of vague abstract notion, you know, the almighty most powerful or the highest ultimate authority. Right, right. That that ends up being a very generic, vague, Mm -hmm. vanilla flavored deity. And it in, in israel scriptures and in, he- in the hebrew scriptures it's not that it's always there's this very particular uh, the the one who we know as god is this one who very particularly is the one who defeated the egyptians for us the one who who, uh, sm- who, who smote pharaoh the one who brought us through the sea mm-hmm. oh yeah and also created everything else but yeah. it's almost like that the particularity is what comes first so after we get that song, <laughs> it does propel us into another
0: genre.
1: Okay. Uh, yes, but mu- that does take a lot of real estate. Less, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> most of the real
0: estate for the rest of the penitentiary. Less, <laughs> yes. less, less singable, uh, and it's it's
2: uh, what's often like just termed as sort of law. Uh-huh. Um, even that, I wanna I wanna put an asterisk on um, the the. in in Hebrew classification, in modern Judaism, they don't call these the books of the law, they call it the Torah. And Torah is badly translated law. It's better translated something like guide, or way, or instruction, or teaching. Which, okay, I get how you get the idea that moves toward law, but there's more to it. And I would say, Like When I think about what happens to my kids at school at the end of the day, part of the day is spent on rules, but more of teaching is how to make you more fully competent adult human beings, and to see that that's really what God's trying to accomplish with all the various kinds of commandments. It seems like it is less about, even though we Christians sometimes want to project this back on Judaism, oh, it was a bunch of rules and they thought that if they followed them well enough, they'd go to heaven. No, no, none of that sentence is right, but instead it was God set you free, here's God teaching you how to be free people, after for 400 years, you don't know how to be free. Because mm-hmm. all you've known how to be is stepped on. And the only models you've seen for an alternative are Pharaoh's way, which is be the one stepping on somebody else. Mm-hmm. So, so much of what we call the, the law the commandments, the Torah, is God helping the people to unlearn the destructive habits of being slaves in pharaohs egypt and instead offering a new way of living together as community
1: and i think again the amount of time spent in the wilderness is important for that very reason yeah because you know we're told that they spent 40 years which is roughly a generation that you know again it took took a whole generation to unlearn this stuff that they learned in egypt and to learn yeah God's way of being God's people um, because the especially the laws that we get in the wilderness deal some of them deal with just how do you have a camp yeah. like how do you exist as you move from place mm-hmm. to place and have it be orderly and not kill each other because you've been on a car trip too long yeah. right there's only so many times you can ask are we there yet <laughs> right, right, right right so you know th- th- there are rules about how to be a migrant people Mm -hmm. and then there's rules about you know later about like how to have festival time so that again you're not just dirty and dusty and tired from walking for forever and how
2: much those festivals are centered around retelling the story the festivals aren't just so much we need an occasion to have mattress sales for like so much of our modern holidays are treated like it's just an excuse for a sale um but that it's each of those festivals are meant to be ways of retelling the story and whether there were origins like harvest festivals even further back in their memory that then get sort of get repurposed as the Torah tells it, it's the purpose of this moment is you tell the story of when I brought you out of slavery. You tell the story about the, uh, the giving of the commandments. You tell this story. that, that that's, It's how to teach the people how to be this, this particular free people. Um, even down to things like this is how we share because God will provide enough. I mean, under Pharaoh's Egypt... Only Pharaoh really has enough to eat and knows that he has enough to eat. Mm-hmm. And yet Pharaoh, in that whole Exodus narrative, is the one who's living under fear that they're all going to overthrow him. So nobody in Pharaoh's Egypt lives without fear. Pharaoh, too. Um, and part of what God has to teach the people is how to unlearn that way of living. So while commandments are being given and theoretically being practiced, God's feeding the people day, day by day with manna and teaching them, share it with each other, otherwise it's going to rot, um, So again, it it seems less to me about, here's a bunch of rules, if you follow them, you go to heaven, and more about, I'm teaching you how to be free people. in addition to me saying it, now we're going to practice it every day. And sometimes... We treat the forty years in the wilderness like it's a punishment. I've heard plenty of people say it was a pun. They, they were so close to the promised land and they they doubted because they doubted. God punished them with forty years in the wilderness. And to me, it seems more like when the teacher gives the first you know spelling test and we discover everybody has misspelled this word. The teacher goes, "Okay, I thought we all knew it. We got to go back and we learn this lesson." Mm-hmm. That's not punishment. That's you need to learn this. We can't move forward until you learn this lesson. It makes no sense to bring the people into the land. Uh, to live this alternative way of life, if they're not ready to do it, if they're not ready to be an alternative to Pharaoh's Egypt. And so instead of treating the wilderness years like God's punishing them because they weren't good enough or they didn't believe hard enough or whatever, I think it's more honest to say this is, oh, turns out they weren't ready. We got to spend time relearning this lesson. So manna it is.
0: Well, and also they had seen this massive miracle, you know, the Exodus and, and the Red Sea and all these things, these massive miracles, but then. They have to learn how to serve a God who is faithful, not just in the massive, right. but in the everyday. Sure. Because, you know what, miracles don't, um, that kind of miracle does not surround us every day. I mean, the sure. sunrise and the sunset, for me, is a miracle. But, I mean, like, you know, that kind of scale miracle, is not an everyday occurrence. It's not an every year occurrence. Sure. It's, it's not even an every generation occurrence.
1: Yeah, and they also have to learn to be patient in that sometimes God is silent. Right, yeah. And that that's okay, right? Like, as soon as Moses was gone for a little bit too long up the mountainside, <laughs> they make the golden calf. Right. They make right. a golden right, the golden calf. Right.
0: Right. was silent for 40 days.
2: I mean. So, as, as, in terms of genre, what, what difference does it make? To be knowing you're reading Law and Commandments as opposed to reading a story like Joseph or Jacob uh, dreaming at Bethel or something like that. What, why, why does it matter to know what you're reading?
1: Well, I mean, you're not going to read a list of laws the same way that you're going to read a genealogy or the same way that you're going okay. to read a narrative. Okay. Like, they're just completely different. And, um especially the laws, I think it's helpful to know the history and the context that they came from. Mm -hmm. Because some of these laws no longer apply to us because we're no longer a people wandering around in the wilderness trying to find stuff to eat.
2: And that's an important piece, that as the laws are given, there's no sense in the Torah that these are given to all peoples in all times and all places. But this is meant to be the covenant relationship between Yahweh, the God who brought us out of slavery, mm. the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and this people of Israel. We could certainly also spin out and say, hey, there's some ideas that would apply anywhere, like murdering. Not a good idea every time. Know, or, <laughs> or lying to your neighbor. This would never be a good idea. But um, that the as the story itself presents it, as the Bible itself presents it, it doesn't say, now these rules uh, will always universally apply to every situation and every culture, but this is part of the covenant story of Israel, and one of the things that the later church has to wrestle with is what are those commandments? How what, what do we have to, how, how do those apply or, or not apply? Mm. And, of course, early early wrestling the church had to deal with was precisely over issues like do we have to keep kosher still and uh, do we have to get circumcised and are we allowed to bring in non-Jewish people? I mean, like, all those are later questions. Um, and they only make sense as questions. These are only live issues if everybody in ancient Israel understood this is part of the way of life for ancient Israel. This wasn't assumed that every day. In fact, God sort of says... Other nations are going to look at how you live differently, and that's what's going to draw you, that draw them to you. That's that's why they're going to want to see you as something different. Uh, And like when later prophets say things like, one day all the nations will come streaming to see, to learn, and, and God will teach them my ways. There's a sense of, yeah, other people aren't necessarily living in these different ways, practicing justice and mercy and sabbatical year and jubilee year and all that kind of business, but they'll see it in you and they'll want... They'll want to know what makes you different. That that's an important piece of the setting.
0: Yeah. Well, some of the laws, as you said, Sarah, are about living, you know, a migrant lifestyle in the wilderness. Some of them, like you just pointed out, Steve, are to set Israel apart mm-hmm. as Israel, you know, and so again, are not meant for all times and all right. places, but um, specifically to show off that, like, okay, God has chosen these people to be His right. people, and hopes that others will join them. Sure. Sure. And sure. then there's there's laws and how to do that too. Sure.
2: And even that notion of being set apart at its best isn't meant to be like a, we're, we're better than other people so much as like if you learn how to do the separating you know your sheep from your goats or your linen from your cotton in regular daily life you get the idea for how to do other kind of separating and sorting of things and where, where it's important to have boundaries that are clear and where it's important where boundaries don't matter that, 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 in a sense it's, it's the, the concrete here's how we learn that kind of stuff um, and, and that idea of remembering who you are is always caught up in you were saved. You—I mean, you're first saved as you're redeemed from slavery. That's a free gift. You don't do any of this in order to earn something. You're handed this gift of being mm-hmm. saved. Now, here's how to live as saved people. There's this line that sticks in my head from um, it's a William Woolemon line. Um, he talked about when he was um grown up like a teenager and is about to go out for the night on a date or to the dance or a party or something like that, and his mom would stop him at the door and say, Remember who you are. Um, and that wasn't a threat so much as like this this sort of recentering of like as if to say, Remember, we're Woolemans and we aren't you know, we aren't mean to people, and don't be rude, and don't mm-hmm. be boorish, and don't do anything that later on you'll regret, or, you know, whatever. Whatever was sort of caught up with that. But that that sentence of remember who you are is so much, I think, tied up with the, the commandments mm-hmm. aren't do this and you'll win a cookie, or do this and you'll get to heaven, or do this and you'll get this good thing. There are certainly some uh, promises of blessing and curse that go along with this too, but I think it's fundamentally... You're the people who were, who were saved. You are the people who were brought out with a mighty hand by God. Remember, this is who you are. Be this different people in the world. As one passage in Exodus puts it, my peculiar people. I, I like that notion of being peculiar. All right, well, um, before we just unpack the whole Bible, we should probably stick a pin in the conversation for today. Um, but those are maybe some introductory ideas for navigating the Torah, uh, the first five books, and we'll join you next time for further conversations as we figure out how to read the different genres in the Bible. See you guys. Bye! Bye.